This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Aaron Apter. Aaron is a corrective exercise specialist and a professional drummer based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Having a uniquely specific education and professional credentials in both music performance and pain management, Aaron combines both practices in a way that directly addresses the needs of musicians who want to correct nagging injuries without impacting their career. He has worked with a wide variety of acts ranging from Cirque du Soleil to the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra to War. In 2022, Aaron founded PR3 Performance, a company designed to help musicians resolve chronic pain without having to see a surgeon or miss a performance. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So as you'll soon discover, Aaron has been my, for lack of a better term, personal trainer for the last five or six months in trying to help me get over some repetitive stress injuries that have accumulated over the last uh, 30 years of my career in uh, beating the shit out of drums. And so... I'm not afraid to be candid about some of these things that are very real. Uh, I know people are afraid to talk about injuries and other things that could impede their performance uh, out of fear that they could lose work. But uh, it's just too important not to talk about. And as I am recovering and playing better than I have in the last couple years and just feel like I'm on the way to recovery, I feel like this again is another important thing to talk about on this platform i hope you agree with me if you're experiencing any problems i really hope this is something that uh, can help you and uh, be inspiring to you so i hope you enjoy this conversation with aaron apter When I lost my mind Something so pleasant about that place Even my emotion had to let go So much space When you're out there without care Yourself was out of touch It wasn't because I didn't do it now Too much mm-hmm. Does that make me crazy? Oh yeah, yeah Make 
I was in Pittsburgh, I was regularly going to school and taking classes at great music schools there. So I was going to Duquesne University and Carnegie Mellon, yeah. which are have great music programs. Uh, it's a great music town. Pittsburgh has a lot of great jazz musicians, a lot of rich history. Uh, my stepfather's a musician. And I kind of wanted to branch out. It wasn't that I was over Pittsburgh. It was like, let's see what else is out there. And I found Capital, and I thought it was really interesting because uh, Bob Brighthop, he, I thought he had a really interesting program there. And it seems that he was really, he was on the precipice of like some good things there that a lot of other schools, I think, were behind the curve on. It was either all jazz or all classical and Bob was just like, listen, I want to teach you how to play music and do whatever you want in the music industry. Mm-hmm. There's a lots of opportunities in the music world that are outside of teaching and just performing and outside of jazz and classical. And I thought that was really interesting. And Capital was a smaller school, and I was also really into sports. I was a cross-country and track and field runner. And I was like, where can I do both of these things? And Capital seemed like a really good fit for me. Um and when it got there, when I got there, it was, it took a while for me to adjust and adapt, probably two years before I realized what a great place it was, because I had these expectations that it was going to be like Pittsburgh only better, but it was very different than Pittsburgh. Hmm. And it took me a long time to, to adjust. Columbus to was different than Pittsburgh or Capital was yes, different? Yes, bo- both of those. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a very different environment in Pittsburgh. Um Capital was a small private liberal arts school with a bunch of people from the middle of Ohio, and I kind of more or less grew up in an inner city environment. Yeah. So, and with a lot of just different types of musicians, um, meaning that people played differently, they had a different understanding of music, and Capital and Columbus was very different. It wasn't better or worse, it was just different. Mm-hmm. And it took me some time to realize that. And I was constantly searching for, I want it to be this, or I want it to be, I wish it was like this instead of what it actually had, the great things it had that I didn't realize yet. Let me ask you real quick, though, a lot of times when people move to a new town, a new scene for whatever reason, there's always this idea of either adapting to -hmm. your environment or injecting your own style, your own thing. Yeah. What did you do when you were at Capitol? Did you find, I'm going to be me, or how do I fit into this? Now, I didn't fit in at Capitol at all for my probably first two or three years. Um, I was, in when you're in college and when you're a kid, you go, oh, the world is going, I'm going to change the world. The yeah. world's not going to change me. And... I think that's a that's a big part of who I am because I've always wanted to change the world and do great things. But then also, I didn't realize probably not until like the past few years of my life that I have to adapt to a scene as well. I have to be what that scene needs me to be. Mm-hmm. And once I kind of establish that, I can start being – I can start injecting part of myself. And it's just really just finding – I think sometimes a scene can teach you something and just being willing to learn and accept that and also being able to offer part of yourself. So it's it's really a give and take. It's a relationship. And I was just so dogmatic probably the first five, even ten years of my professional career that I was like, no, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And 
that didn't do me a lot of favors. But I think it's expected. I mean, think about you think about that that that, that point in our lives. We're young adults mm-hmm. and yet still kids. Yes. I mean, it it is a classic mindset. Mm-hmm. And to think that oh, what can the world teach me? I mean, that's so foreign. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're going into something that requires so much bravado as I'm going to make a living as a musician. Yeah. If you if you're already going into the world saying I'm going to make a living as a musician, you've already established that you kind of know what you're doing and you're going to defy any amount of logic. Yeah. I was going to say logic be damned. (laughs) So it makes sense that, that it's difficult for us to, and I was in the same boat, man. I was living in Columbus, but Mm -hmm. I had, I was commuting the first year being at the conservatory. And after that year, Bob said, next year, you've got to move here. You've got to live on campus. No leaving campus after your last class. You need to be here 24 seven, be practicing, being studying and like start living here, living in the environment. And I was like, okay. And I was just kind of being, I I just wanted control, self-control. And he was saying, stop, you need to give that control to the school and to me. And you're here and you're spending money being a student, be a student. Yeah. Bob. Kick uh, my ass. Yeah. Bob is, that sounds very much like Bob. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. Bob is notorious for things like that. He can sometimes just tell you, listen, this is the way it is. Yeah. And he's taught me some hard lessons that way. And I, to this day, I don't know if he knows how grateful I am for them. He made me cry before in front of my all of my peers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He made me, he just chewed me out, kicked me out of a jury, essentially, told me that I need to change my major and to quit. He was like, you need to quit screwing around. Yeah. You're, I don't want to help you ruin your life. And he just, it was, boy, I even get nervous saying that story right now. Um, but it was really, as a professional, as a human being, it was one of the most valuable lessons I ever, I ever learned. And you told me that story before, and it makes me think if that was intentional, if he knew what he was doing at the time, or if he was just reacting to the situation maybe without as much grace as he maybe wanted to but all that aside that affected you in 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 the long term in a much in a very positive way yeah and knowing though i think what you're saying is is probably there is um a little bit of truth on both those in both of those ends but really i think bob knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. he was i think if that uh issue existed in isolation if I messed up that one time, he would have been like, okay. But he saw a pattern. He was like, listen, I just got to nip this thing in the bud. Yeah. And it was tough. It was a hard lesson. And it's one I still think back on these days. And yeah, I don't know if he knows, but I was like, that was really formative. And it was a tough, painful lesson to learn. And it was just so valuable. Uh, and I think back on it frequently. Yeah. I think about some of the tough teachers that I've had and many of us have had Mm -hmm. that at the time was just painful Mm -hmm. and uh, a difficult pill to swallow and uncomfortable. And yet, in hindsight, how important those things were, those lessons were, and it carries us to the next level as as adults, as you know, because that producer, that 
band leader, that artist, whatever we're doing, they don't give a shit about you. Mm-hmm. That even when Bob was being the darkest, he or you know the most insensitive, what it seemed at the time, he still cares about his students. He still cares about his position as you know. Yes, very deeply. Um, yeah. he does it in a way that is necessary, and he is very much a mirror of the real world. If you're playing in Madison Square Garden and you have a tummy ache, for lack of better terms, somebody close to you just got into an accident, somebody died, um, you know, you had something unfortunate happen, it's kind of, he made an analogy to me that really stuck with me, is like, it's something that you either do or you don't. You are like an athlete here. When it comes time to perform, you can either perform or choose not to, but the higher up you get... The, the greater level you achieve in this world professionally, the less room for error there is. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you have an excuse or not. You're either going to make it happen or you can't. Yeah. And like, you know, Michael Jordan with the flu game. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm just good. This has to get done. I don't yeah. care what happens. This is getting done. Mm-hmm. And again, Bob, that was a lesson he drilled into me. And it took me a long time to figure it out. And I still have to remind myself, but this world, especially as a musician, you decide, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. Under the spotlight on the stage, professionals perform better than in the rehearsal room. Amateurs on stage perform worse than they do in mm. rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're a true professional, you find a way to make it happen. doesn't mean it's easy. And that's why right. there are professionals and there's otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going from Columbus to Chicago, mm-hmm. again, why Chicago? <laughs> uh, you know, Chicago, there's so many different reasons. Um, but again, I was in my 20s. Um, Chicago is a great city. I thought about New York, but New York was so cost prohibitive. Was there a girl in Chicago? Oh, I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, there was a girl in Chicago. Um, and I'm still friends with her, but obviously we we did not uh, end up getting together. But... Uh, yeah, again, I like to keep my personal life off of social media, but yeah, that, that's fine. Um, we, I just thought it was also a great opportunity for me because it was a big city. Yeah. There is, I'm like, let's see what the world has to offer me. I was doing some touring work here and there. I did a couple cruise ship gigs. I was actually working for an audio company at the time, being their spokesperson, which was a wildly unique experience. Um hmm. Actually, for the company that microphone I'm speaking into right now, uh, and I was trying to, I was doing a lot of music adjacent things. I'd done some, again, some touring musicals. I'd done some cruise ships. What was your, by the way, what was your major? At- Jazz performance. Okay. Um, and I did with that just like everyone else did with it. It's like, all right, I'm going to go out into the world and play. And, you know... I, I had a couple close, again, a couple close calls with almosts, like with big names. Mm-hmm. And everybody has those stories. Mm-hmm. And I was really careful about not slipping into the I almost had this gig. And then 30 years later, I'm on a bar telling someone my story, you know, mm-hmm. drinking. I could have played with this person. Mm-hmm. So I was in Chicago and really. I was just still trying to find my way, doing a lot of unique things, playing with some unique artists. I was more into not necessarily being a session guy, not necessarily being someone who's doing drums as strictly a vocation, 
but I was more into doing the artistic side where they needed somebody weird to play someone, someone to play something unique. Or I was, you know, working with, I was doing recording in Chicago actually quite a bit. And that was, I was kind of a little bit ahead of the curve there. Uh, I mean, I had a house with the studio and I was recording a lot of artists on my own, doing the drum parts for them, maybe doing some of the other instruments for them. You know, I had a pretty good, nice little setup there and I was making a living. Was I at the top of the pops? Probably not. Um, but I was doing pretty well in Chicago, even though that scene is very fractured and across the place. Um, and Chicago is a great city. It's not the same kind of industry town as Nashville is, and I find it's not quite as easy to make a living there as it is in Nashville playing music. Um, I just kind of wonder if anybody is out listening that lives in a place like Columbus, Chicago, a quote-unquote non-music town, Yeah, like if they're feeling that struggle and try to under- wrap their head around like how to do that. Yeah, Chicago was interesting. And what I've noticed about Chicago was a lot of the people, and there's great artists there, a lot of the musicians there. If you're going out to see a band at nights, a lot of those musicians have day jobs that aren't music, and that doesn't make them any more or less legitimate. Nashville is, most of the people here are playing as professional musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chicago, again, it will support live music in the sense people come out to see you play, but it doesn't pay you in the same way as Nashville does. Yeah, You're not going to get those tips if you're doing a Broadway gig. There's not quite as many opportunities. Um, in Chicago, if you are an established artist or working with an established artist, it's a great place to be. Uh, it's a hard place. I'm not saying it's impossible. You can do it anywhere, but it's a hard place to, I am a side man with multiple people doing multiple projects. If you're not established, you really got to break in and it takes some time and some patience and doing some other, creating some own unique paths for yourself. And which is what I did in Chicago. And I loved it. It's my favorite city in the world. That's awesome. Were you doing anything in the fitness world during this time? Um, or where was that on your radar? So this is, and again, I really think if you were starting this podcast, this is where I would say this is the place to start because everything prior to this, it was formulative and who I am as a musician, but I really think my story as who I am as a person, as a musician, really started it in Chicago, at least mm. for this phase, mm-hmm. in the sense that when I got in Chicago, I wasn't the healthiest I'd been. You know, I'd, I'd been doing some touring um, you weren't the healthiest? No, I was not. Okay. I've been doing some touring um, with, you know, regional acts. I've been doing, again, cruise ship work. I've been making a living as a musician and having that irregular, those irregular patterns. And one day I looked in the mirror, I'm like, man, I'm fat. <laughs> uh, like, I could show you a before picture and it was like, it looks like a different person. Like, I'm going through like a fat filter. And... Again, one of my motivations for moving to Chicago was like, okay, I don't want to be on the road 24-7. I want to get myself healthy again and just kind of be in one place. And I ran cross-country and track and field in college on a collegiate level. I wasn't the greatest athlete, but I really invested a lot of time in those skills and abilities, and I was proud to do it on you know, the NCAA level. And then afterwards, I, after college, I did the typical musician diet lifestyle of mm-hmm. booze and smoking and fast food and one day I'm like wow I do not look good um, 
wow, this affected me negatively. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it, and I knew it was slowly happening, but I didn't like realize until one day I'm like, ugh, this is, this is not good. Um, and, you know, I was always active, but never really, I was always active. Um, but I slowly let myself go and just kind of coincidence or serendipity. I stumbled into a great gym in Chicago, um, which changed my life. Hmm. And it was a gym. It wasn't the type of gym it was. It was the people inside of it that really changed my life. And I worked with some really great coaches. And I told this one coach that I always had the dream of about being an Ironman. And for those who don't know, Ironman is a triathlon where you swim 2.4 miles, then you ride 112 miles on a bike, and then you get off and run a marathon and call it a day. I saw that on TV as a child. I'm like, wow, that is me. I want to do something like that. Kind of like, I think a lot of us see some kind of musician doing something extraordinary. You're like, that is me. That's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I told this coach I was working with in Chicago about this, and she was this rower from Australia, and I thought she was going to be like, that's great, you should go for it. And then she kind of, it was like she was channeling Bob Brighthop. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, why are you telling me about this? Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. And I'm like, ugh. And it kind of like, it was like a, I want to say a gut punch. I'm like, boy, that, that saw right to the core of me. So... She said, are you going to do it or not? And I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I believe this was in 2012. And so I had to really like kind of, and she was like, you just can't do it right now. It's going to take like, you know, a year or two for you to like get in shape. So I got in shape. I got in some pretty good shape and I decided to take some time off um, from touring. And I decided to kind of modify what I was doing musically. I wasn't turning down gigs, but I definitely wasn't going to after hours. I definitely wasn't socializing as much. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm doing this as a job. Um, I wasn't living a lifestyle. I was eating prunes at gigs, man. I mean, people were doing shots. I was eating prunes. Uh, and because it was something I really wanted to do. Your nickname wasn't Sam and Patty yet. No, it was not it was Sam a pr- and Patty. <laughs> was it prune boy? No, um, no people, they, they would just kind of laugh at me. or um, And that's kind of been a pattern. People... In, the, in this world, in the music world, they see that I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to eat that or I'm not going to drink that. You know, there's there's not necessarily judgment. They're like, oh, okay, this is one of those guys. Um, you do get, yeah, there is a level of like fun poking and, and, and just uh, people give you shit for making good choices in this business, especially on live gigs. It's really, yeah. it's really interesting. I enjoy it kind of because it's the same reason why I like, I enjoy doing Iron Man. This is something that makes me different. This is something that yeah, makes for me sure. unique. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so, you know, I took some time to get healthy and develop some new patterns. And I was so proud of that. And people are starting to know me. Like the musicians were like, Oh, this is the, this is the healthy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was physically changing, mentally changing. And, I remember like making the plunge, like, all right, I'm doing Iron Man this year. And I had a choice to either pay my rent or pay the entry fee to Iron Man because it costs about $1,000. They're, they're expensive races to do. Wow. And I said, I'm making this happen regardless. I'm going to find a way. I literally leased a new bike that, like, and I, I use the term leased. I leased a new bike because it costs about as much as a car. Um, I was serious about it. And um, I remember on that first ride of that bike, uh, it was a great bike. Uh, my very first ride on it before 
I was riding up to a trail where I can get um, where there wasn't a lot of traffic. I was riding through the city of Chicago. This is on a Thursday, um, middle Thursday afternoon. I'm riding and I see a car turn. I was like, wait, that's not the right direction. I was like, oh, it's turning and it's hitting you turn. Oh, no. And then I slowly realized, oh, this car is heading my way and it's going to hit me and does not see me. And I said, no, no, no. And I was talking and saying, please. I was kind of talking out loud like, okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Oh, this is happening. This is happening. And then the voice inside my head was like, all right, dude, shift to instead of avoiding the crash, you have to shift into how can you survive this crash? This and, is the first ride yeah, on this bike. First ride on this bike. I turned down a tour um, because I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm training for a triathlon. Um, give me a couple months. And yeah, the first ride on a bike that I leased. Again, leased because it was so much I could not afford to pay it all at once. Um, yeah. And I remember this car is, I'm like, brace for impact, brace for impact kind of like the alarms going off in my head and then I just kind of I wouldn't say it went black but it was just like kind of like a jolting and I kind of remember I very remember remember how it felt and I just remember everything you know my vision getting mixed up and next thing I know I'm lying on the ground just in kind of seething pain feeling hot and cold seeing like a pool of blood I'm just like oh my god oh my god and I'm like please make I hope nothing is like, you know, just absolutely demolished, but I could feel my body kind of going into shock and yeah, uh, that, that's where it gets kind of hazy. Um, yeah, long story short, you know, I mean, they load me up in, you know, the ambulance. I don't remember all of it too much. Um, but was it, was it a hit and run or did they stick around or no, I remember talking to the person hit me. It's clearly drunk, um, clearly drunk and disoriented. And it was also, um, you know, the police couldn't get there for like 45 minutes. And it was just from the very onset, it was it was a tough situation that wasn't going to be fair. And I realized that very early on. I realized that where I after I had left the hospital, after I'd been in the hospital for a while, I had to go to the police and file a police report. And they like they were insisting that my name was not Aaron. My name was Mike. And I'm like, no, this is who I am. They're like, nope, nope, that, that's not you, dude. And I'm like, OK, um, wow. It, it was, you know, bringing it all around is that I basically, my, everything that was holding my left arm together was pretty much demolished at the shoulder joints. You know, the joint, the ligaments, um, rotator cuff, everything was just like, I just, I literally got T-boned by a van, like right on my shoulder. And it was, yeah, I mean, you could see like the two sides of my body, like one side was noticeably lower. It was, it was pretty nasty. Um, wow. And so there was kind of the point where like the doctor at the hospital took a look. He's like, oh yeah, we need to operate on this. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like, let's pump the brakes because I wanted to know was what was going to happen to my career musically? What was going to happen? Could I still, you know, do the fitness things that I kind of newly discovered? And you know, the doctor's like, um, you know, I don't know, maybe there's, I, I wouldn't count on it. Um, yeah, and he was really unsure about it, and he may have been a great doctor, I don't know, but I researched, like, I was, like, literally in the hospital and <laughs> reading his Yelp reviews, and I'm just like, uh, I don't know, this one ain't it. Um, and 
I said, no, I, I, I don't want to go through this right now. You know, I was still clearly in shock and all sorts of pain. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was that I, I just kind of gutted it out for about a week or so. And that was just a week of an intense pain and found a doctor that would do, I found a doctor who, um, worked for the White Sox, essentially. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the money to do it. The driver hit me was criminally underinsured. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'll figure this stuff out later. I need to save my arm. I need to save my skills. It's basically, I had spent my whole life creating this identity as who I was as a musician. Yeah. And then also parts of it as an athlete. And I don't think very many people experience this, this in life, and I hope people don't. But if you've ever had something that makes you you, so incredibly you, that you've invested your whole life into, money, time, your heart, and that is taken away from you in an instance, it is jarring, to say the least. Oh, yeah. Um, it is traumatizing. Um, and I didn't even really process that at the time because I was like, I was literally in triage mode. I'm like, I need to, I need to find a way to move forward from this. Mm -hmm. And... So what ended up happening was, yeah, I ended up pretty much just replacing most of the parts of my shoulder. Like I'm talking parts of my uh, collarbone are sawed down. I got some screws and anchors in there. I even got cadaver ligaments inside of me. Uh, and all that energy, all that discipline I s invested into that was I was going to do for Iron Man. I said, all right, this is going to be my Iron Man. I'm going to learn how to pick my arm up again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn how to use my shoulder and raise my hand. And I literally was kind of like, kind of like drummers would hang out at drum shops. You know, a lot of drummers have a story like I was there all the time. I was like that at the physical therapy wing. I was there twice a day. I said, this is my job. I am doing this. And a lot of times they would send me home, but I was there asking the questions, reading the books, getting whatever they could let me have. Mm -hmm. I was drastically changing my diet while I was going through this. I was, this was the moment where this gets done, period. Uh, and yeah, I wasn't accepting no for an answer. Right. And they said, yeah, you might be able to do an Ironman. We wouldn't plan on it. You might be able to do this. We wouldn't plan on it. And I said, no, this is happening. And this is happening now. I actually tried to do an Ironman that year, and they wouldn't let me do it with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I – so that next year was like I was doing two-a-days every day, but it wasn't two-a-day workouts. It was what can I do – to expedite this process? What can I do um, to get me back to where I was? How long before you picked up sticks again and sat behind the kit? That's a good question. Um, Were you afraid of what might happen if you picked up a stick and how it would feel? I'm not really quite sure because... I never let myself process that or grieve that during the moments. Mm -hmm. I was so hyper-focused on not accepting that fear, not accepting that fate that had been handed to me that I said, that's not a possibility. Mm. 
And I never really grieved that. Um, and I just use that, that fear. I use that as energy, as fuel. I'm like, this is not going to be my narrative. This is not going to happen. Where, did, where does that strength come from? You know, I don't even know if it was strength per se, but it was just like, I am not, this, this is, this is non-negotiable. Everything I had known or worked for in life was taken away from me. And I was just, I didn't realize at the time, but I was crushed. I was just, I was in a world of pain and hurt physically, mentally. Um, and I use that physical pain, that emotional pain, instead of really grieving it, I'm just like, I put that in the fire and that fire burned hot, but it burned, it burned in a way that wouldn't stop burning and that I couldn't let go of it. And that crash really drove my life going forward. It drove all the decisions I made moving forward. I did pick up sticks eventually. Yeah. And there was no problems, no problems at all. They said I wouldn't be doing an Ironman for a while. I did one I think 15 months later, they said like the rehab process was going to be 18 months. I think it was like 15 months later. I finished an Ironman. I think I was gigging or playing within six months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't realize though, like, but at that time I wouldn't celebrate being able to play again. I wouldn't celebrate being able to like brush my teeth or put a shirt on. Because I'm like, no, I cannot let up until I get to where I want to go, until I get back what was taken from me. And I thought that was Iron Man. And I thought once I finished that Iron Man, it was all going to be cool. And it was a moment. I was, okay, I got back to where I was. I got back to zero when I finished that first Iron Man. So I'm like, you know what? Mm -mm. Let's do another one. Let's run it back. So I did another one. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you know what? I think I could go pro in this. Screw it, man. What year was this? Oh, man, this was, like, 2017. Okay. I'd, I'd, so I had been, like, 2016, 2017. I'm like, I think, and I was getting close to it, and I didn't realize at the time that I just put music away. Music was not an option for me. Music was not who I was anymore. And it was something that... I tried to ignore, but I couldn't deny. But I was like, I am too far down this path to stop now. I am too, I need to get climbed to the top of this mountain before I turn around. And I thought the top of the mountain was Ironman, two Ironmans, three Ironmans. No, I wanted to get to the world championships. I wanted to be a pro. And, you know, I was just chasing that. It wasn't so much that I wanted to be a pro. It was that, oh, that crash had to make sense. I lost everything that made me me. I never had a chance to really grieve all the trauma that came with it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really informed my life moving forward. That was really the inflection point of my life. As a person, as a professional, just who I... That was the moment that really changed everything for me. And it kind of led me to where I'm at today in a very weird roundabout way. Well, it's interesting because like, w you and I met partly through the podcast and then seeing that we both went to Capitol mm -hmm. uh, and, and made our connections there. 
and then kind of talking about some of the 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 uh, the stuff that I've been dealing with and stuff that I've talked about uh, candidly on this podcast and my journey to recovery and and you know for anybody that doesn't know it's like just repetitive stress injuries uh, that uh, have all of a sudden in my later in my life have started to kind of affect my performance. Yeah, your bill has come due. Exactly. And there's so many different metaphors uh, that help shed some light on yeah. on why that is uh, over time. And uh, we've talked openly about it on this podcast. Uh, we've had conversations with Dave Elich about it. Uh, and, you know, I've done all these different things. But one of the things that I felt like you understood what I was telling you was my identity has been threatened Mm-hmm. And who I think I am. And I, I always think, listen, I'm a guy who plays the drums. I love music. I love drumming. But that's not really who I am. I'm a father. I'm a husband. You know, it's like, this is who I am. But I realize that I I do identify so much as as someone that plays music. And I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to make a living in doing something I'm very passionate about and, and enjoy it so much that when this was threatened, it sent me into times when I was spiraling yeah. and depressed. And um, so hearing your story, it's like, wow. It's like it made my problem seem insignificant. And yet at the same time, I felt like you understood the pain yeah. that I was dealing with. So... You and I have been working together for how long? Uh, we've been working together for about five or six months now, I believe. Okay. So I've been doing some other things that have helped along the way. Again, I took uh, a lesson with Dave Elich, been doing some stuff uh, on his online program, mm-hmm. uh, the very drummy drum stuff. Uh, I was doing um, deep tissue massage, uh, acupuncture. Uh, did some physical therapy for a short while, and I felt like this was kind of kind uh, exposing some of the the issues that I was dealing with. I was learning more and more about what I was going through, mm-hmm. but working with you has not only exposed more about what has happened, uh, and coming from a drummer's perspective, a trainer's perspective, you've given me the education and the tools because. As you remind me, I ask a lot of questions, <laughs> very analytical yeah. about things, uh, and I want to know. I want to know what the fuck is going on. Why can't I move my left hand the way I did three years ago, five years ago? What's going on? I've always felt like I've been a healthy person. I've taken care of myself. I eat better than most of the people that I work with. I go to the gym on a regular basis. I do all this stuff, but there was so much more to it. Mm -hmm. And one of the analogies that you've used often is it's like you get a a new car Mm -hmm. and it's a standard and you're in first gear and you're driving in first gear and you can drive that way for a long time without shifting out of first gear. But at some point, the car is going to be like, "Ah, we're done with this and the engine's going to blow. Yeah. So... You know, combination of really pushing the envelope with playing and maybe uh, just bad enough technique and maybe not eating as well as I should, not taking care of myself. 
you know, my age, you know, all these other things are now, like you say, the bills come due. Yeah. So we've been working together. There's been significant progress. I feel like I still have a ways to go, but I'm at a place where I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. I can kind of exhale and be like, okay, I'm not where I want to be as a player. Of course, that will never happen. But I'm not where I want to be physically, but I'm moving in that direction. We steadied the ship, and it's not in danger of going down. Exactly. If other people are kind of experiencing this, could you maybe describe mm-hmm. what, we, what, what you've seen in me, what, what was limiting, and what progress we've made and how we've made it? I remember when we first met, you had a lot to say, and you were – I took that as, okay, this person doesn't know what to do. And you're like, I got this going on, I got this. And you're throwing all these terms and these words. And I'm like, it's probably not that, but okay. Um, But you threw around like potential of getting surgery. And you said you even talked to a surgeon. Your surgeon was like, I think you can beat this. Yeah. And it really illustrated a point that's not just for musicians, but for people in general. What happens when you get to a point where, all right, it feels funny, it hurts when I do this, yeah, but I can still perform my activities of daily living. I can still get up and down the steps. I can still feed myself, dress myself. If you go to a doctor, what's a you say, doctor? Man, it hurts like when I'm on like hour three of a gig. You know, doctor's gonna be like, pull back on your plane, man. Take some time off. Let it chill out. And for a lot of us, that's not an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it gets to a point where, like, you know, it hurts during hour one of my gig, you know, or it hurts, gets to the point where, oh, I can't even pick up a drumstick. That's where you actually need, probably need to get surgery. Right. So where's that gap between I need surgery and, oh, something feels funny. We don't have anything. It's either all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I see people making these kind of impulsive decisions Mm-hmm. Or just being walking around scared, angry, afraid. What am I going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And messing with their head while they're playing. Oh my God, I got this pain. If I just get through this gig, maybe I'll take a week or two off. And then it's kind of like if you're having a problem with your car, do you just park your car for a week or two? No, you need to get it fixed. And as a society, we don't really have access to things that fix us. Mm-hmm. Because our healthcare system, it is great in the sense that we have some of the best healthcare workers in the world, some of the greatest doctors. That is not where your wellness occurs. They are there to treat issues that need attention, to treat acute issues, to treat illness. Mm -hmm. What do we do about pain and discomfort? That is, you know what? It hurts when I like have my hand on this fret of the guitar. Or, you know what? It hurts if I put my arm over on my rack tom. Where, what do we do about that? There's like this big blind spot. And so that's what I've been trying to fill for people. Yeah. And that's why I moved to Nashville is because Nashville's an industry town. There's musicians here and people do this for a living. And I realized as a musician through my own experiences of being injured, you know, I had questions about, can I pick up these six? Can I do this? What does this mean? And there just really wasn't the answers for it. Not for musicians. No, because I think it's really interesting, and I, I've, the different professionals that I've seen from the surgeons to the physical therapists, I'm like, look, 
doesn't affect day to day. It's when I sit down to play the drums mm-hmm. that I notice it. If I didn't play drums, I wouldn't notice it. Yeah. And I just see the look of confusion on their face because they're like, well, then just don't do that. Yeah. And it's like, they don't get it, man. It's like, no, this is what I do. Yeah. You know? So there is that big gap. And I, so again, when we met and you're like, I'm doing this training I'm mm-hmm. doing and I play drums and you know, and I had this injury. I was like, dude, okay. Maybe Aaron can start to understand my frustration. Yeah. And he's so, yeah. And so you're describing all the professionals you're talking about. They're saying the exact right thing. You know why? Because that's not in their scope of practice, right? Their job isn't to treat. Okay. This is someone's activities of daily, what we will call interests. Mm-hmm. Okay. Activities of daily living. Like, can you stand up, sit down? Yeah, that's necessary. Um, can you play Wipeout on the drums? That's maybe that's not, you know, for them, <laughs> that's not in their wheelhouse. Um, but again, who does that and how, like, where's that gap? And so mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to fill. Yeah. And there's such a wide gap there. I'm not even talking about music. I'm just talking about in our society in general. There's such a wide gap. And then music is such an outlier. We are really at the tip of the spear here and the type of work we are doing and the amount of repetitive work that there's like you need a specialist that understands what it's like. And part of my reasons for continuing my education the way I did, I was at a point where I said, you know what, I'd get a doctorate in physical therapy if I went back to school and invested that time into it. And part of the reasons why I didn't want to go down that path was that a lot of that education was kind of predicated on what insurance companies will pay for. Hmm. It is what, you know, will an insurance company pay for this? And if not, I would have to like study that outside of, you know, that intense level doctorate work I would do. So I would have to get a doctorate, get certified, then do some more education. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, you know what, like I want to be more educated on the ways a body moves the ways we can kind of work with functional diagnoses um, and basically give the people the tools they want to do for the the specialized things. Because I have this very unique experience as a musician and an athlete and as somebody who moves. I have a very unique experience as somebody who has been in incredible pain and had their uh, livelihood threatened. I have also have a very unique education where I've, I have education – in both of those areas. Yeah. Both in terms of academics, but also in terms of life experience and work experience. Yeah. And I'm like, is there anybody that does something this kind of unique amalgamation of all these things? That's why I moved to Nashville is because I know there's going to be a lot of musicians here who there's a gap for them that needs to be filled. So what have you seen here in Nashville besides me? <laughs> <laughs> Other are there classic injuries or are there classic repetitive stress injuries that you see? I mean, not to reveal too much about some of your clients that no, no. you can't, but have you seen something like that? Maybe a listener would be like, that's me. So what I see, one thing I see is that everyone is a unique situation, unique problems. You need unique solutions. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, somebody like you, you're having problems with your left side. Okay, and let's say we do something that is on your left shoulder and that clears it up, all right? Does that mean everyone who's having that same kind of pain is going to need to do the same thing as you? Absolutely not, because we need to look at everything as a whole. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's one thing I do is I really assess everyone from top to bottom and Mm -hmm. seeing what's going on so we can see. We usually realize that the source of the pain is usually not right there in that pain, but it's usually upstream, downstream. What do you mean by that? So if I'm having pain in my elbow, it's not because I have a bad elbow, likely because I have a bad shoulder, maybe I have a bad wrist, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, And we're just trying to figure out, I'm not so much concerned with you have a bad elbow, therefore this. We need to look at everything, how it's functioning as a whole. Like I tell people sometimes when you're working on a mix, you might not necessarily need to have more kick drum to hear that kick drum. You might need to pull out a little bit of the bass so that can kind of speak. So one thing here in Nashville I've seen is that a lot of people are like, all right, man, what's one stretch I can do? What's one strengthening drill I can do? It's kind of like saying, what's one frequency I can boost to make my mix better? Mm-hmm. It, it's all relative to the situation and the person. Um, and I'd be happy to unpack that, or I'd be happy to unpack some of the things that I see with musicians with a lot of cyclic repetitive use injuries Um that I'm seeing happen quite a bit. Sure. Just a misunderstanding of that. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what did you think you needed to have happen when we first started working together? Well, uh, the, 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 the diagnosis was you have an impinged ulnar nerve mm-hmm. that is passing through the inner side of your elbow, mm-hmm. and it's causing some weakness in your hand and in mobility. And other people were saying, well, it's possible that that ulnar nerve is getting impinged in the collarbone mm-hmm. or uh, underneath the... So there was just like all these different things that um, was uh, was somewhat limited. And it's kind of hard to know like when it's... And it, it came on slowly mm-hmm. and that I just felt like, man, I just, I'm not moving my left arm the way I was. But, I, but because there wasn't a one moment where there was... Uh, uh, an accident, yes. a car wreck, uh, you know, uh, that even the surgeons and the doctors were like, well, I don't know where to even begin because it's not like there was one traumatic event mm-hmm. for you. It's like, when did you start? F- they'd give you this form. When did you start feeling this way? I'm like, I don't really know. It's like, you're just thinking, oh man, I'm just having a bad week or I'm having a bad month. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, my gosh, my why am I not getting the tone out of this snare drum? It's so subtle. And to try and explain to a healthcare professional, when I hit that snare drum just right with the rim shot and the stick hits just in it, the snare drum blooms and sounds so beautiful. I'm having a difficult time doing that consistently with the left (laughs) hand. They're looking at me cross-eyed going, what are you talking about? Is this guy high? Yeah, exactly. So these are things that these big gaps in discussing this with professionals and then even other drummers and drum instructors, it's a piece of the puzzle of many things. And again, it was unique to me. That it's like I need more than just one session with somebody. Yeah, I need multiple sessions with with somebody that is going to invest in in me, listen to me, and understand me. So again, we are talking about me, but we're talking about the overall arc yeah. of everyone's situation is unique. Yeah, and l- let's talk about that. So you yeah. you threw around some diagnoses, all yeah. right? You threw around some terms that some people may or may not know. And we don't even need to get into that. You know, you talk about ulnar nerve impingement. You could have talked about, oh, I have a slight disc injury. I have some form of scoliosis. We could talk about a lot of things. 
And I'm not dismissing any of those at all, but my question to people is like, what does that mean to you? Does that mean you can't do something? Or is that just someone saying, oh, this is going on and maybe it's an easy way of kind of mm-hmm. being an umbrella term? Yeah. Um, and so you hear these these kind of these technical – and I, I really try to avoid using the technical terms when I'm working with clients because I want to make it really – I want everyone to understand what's going on and not be afraid and hear some big, big medical-like term for them and they get this, oh, shit – Everything after that, they're they're just here ringing in their ears. I have an impingement. What do I do now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my question for my client is that, okay, well, what does that mean to you? And a lot of times people think it means I'm limited and I can't do this. And I said, no, absolutely not. It's just an easy way of saying, oh, this is kind of going on maybe. And that has nothing to do. That is not your identity. Okay, mm-hmm. your identity is not that. And Not the injury. Yeah. Not the impingement, not yeah. the limitations. That's yeah. not who you are. This, th- There's ways to overcome this. Yeah, just like, what's – the more important thing is look as, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You're feeling this pain, okay? Do you want me to give that pain a name and a title and tell you specifically it is this and it is traveling in this pathway? Right. Or do we want to say, you know what? I think we, we – let, let's take a look at you as a whole. Mm-hmm. And from there, if we kind of do a, for lack of better terms, an audit of your movements, of your range of motion, of your strength, we can see, oh, you know what? We're limited in motor control here. We are limited in our mobility right here. We have this strength and balance. If we kind of clear these things up, a couple of these priority one, two, three, I think things will get a lot better. You'll be able to function a lot better. Do you want to give that a try? And when someone does that and they go full in, I say nine times out of ten, we see significant improvements. And it's not because we are doing some kind of passive treatments where I'm saying, okay, I need to massage this or do this. But we are really looking at the body, the person as a whole, and saying, where can we make improvements? Let's look at the big picture here. I think this is something that we we can explore in, in maybe a little bit greater detail for the sake of the, the conversation here, mm-hmm. um, because there's we could this could be a whole separate podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, so getting into more specifics, one of the things that's been beneficial to me in dealing with just my left arm mm-hmm. is other areas of my body that are have been weak that are weak yeah. that you have identified as this could be stronger, this could be more resilient, this could be more flexible. Mm-hmm. So using that as an example, maybe get into sp- some specifics like hip flexor. Yeah. It's like, that. Ha- what's that have to do with your left arm? So one of the things that has been beneficial, this tactic that you've taken with me and saying, okay, where are your limitations mm-hmm. overall? I am here to say, okay, I've got more flexibility, mm-hmm. I've got more control, than I did six months ago yeah. with my left side. Mm-hmm. So what have we been doing? It's a good question. And what have we been doing? And I'll, I'll first by saying what we have not been doing. When I first started talking to you, you're like, hey, man, I want you to come over and watch me play. Maybe I should you know, mess with my setup this way. Maybe I should do this. And I, I say, all right, man. I mean, I could do that, but we're missing the forest for the trees here. Let's take a look at everything. Let's really zoom out. Yeah. Let's look at the big picture. Okay, because we might like see something and we're just treating a symptom, but we're not treating the cause. Yes. 
So one thing, I looked at you as a whole. And so I, you didn't do this. I asked you to come over and watch me play and see that. And you said, nope, <laughs> I not going to do that. So I, those are the things that we didn't do. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't do that. And I wanted to do that in as graceful as a way as possible because, you know what, I would have loved to come over here and talk about drums and nerd out, but that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to make you – I don't want to change your signature on the drum set. And really, most of our problems, we might have some – suboptimal positions on the drum set maybe or maybe not but let's take a step back further okay why would you have that suboptimal position maybe you have some weakness or imbalance and one thing i noticed with you in particular i mean there's a lot of things <laughs> there's a lot of things i noticed and yeah just like thinking off the notes at the top of my head is that okay you're used to being in these really closed off positions such as drummers would be where their your hips are in flexion Right, mm -hmm. and we're in this rounded forward position. We're really lacking midline strength, and instead of me just like thinking or guessing, I'm actually measuring these things. Okay, so I'm measuring the amount of mobility and flexibility you have. I'm measuring the amount of strength you're having from right to left side, mm -hmm. um, both in your legs and your arms, and pushing, pulling. Yes. We're just taking a look at everything, and then we're seeing where is the smoke, all right? We're seeing some smoke here. Let's take, you know, we're going after the low-hanging fruits. Yeah. And so one thing I noticed with you is that, all right, we're really limited in standing lumbo pelvic flexion. For lack of better terms, it's the toe-touch test, okay? Yeah. So our, your hamstrings are crazy stiff, Yeah. all right? And you're also feeling some, some issues in your hips, now, does that mean necessarily that it was your hips causing the problem? I was like, maybe not. I'm thinking it's more with a posterior chain. So one thing we've done, I don't think we've even discussed this, is I've really worked on loading up your posterior chain. I've worked on getting you some both length there and some strength there that will help kind of deload, deload your hips a touch because we're, we're really anteriorly biased, mm -hmm. meaning that okay, the front of your legs are doing a lot more work than the back. Yeah. Um, we had that going on. We had a lack of midline stability. And we're definitely, I'm using this, measuring it in relation to this, in relation to this. And I was looking for where's the greatest areas of imbalance. Again, the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. The stuff that we can attack first before we get into specifics. Yeah. 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 We were going after the things that, okay, once we do this, this might clear up a lot. Like if we're able to use your hamstrings more, maybe your hips can chill out a little bit. Um, and if my hips can chill out, then I'm not holding myself so much. If my core, my yeah. midline is stronger, then that's supporting my upper body. And one thing that I've noticed that I've mentioned to you is that when I feel more stability and more relaxation, because it really it does come down to your arms and your wrists and your fingers being relaxed and in control. Mm -hmm. That's when you get great tone. That's when you're moving around the kit with fluidity. Yeah. Those are things that we all understand. Those are the things that people like Todd Zuckerman and Dave Elitch talk about, being relaxed. Yeah. And it's like if I have to strong arm a part of my body to keep it balanced, yeah. then I'm robbing the other part of my body of that energy, that stability. And so the idea of working on hip flexion, mm -hmm. working on the posterior chain, it all aids in 
giving my my arm, my shoulder ability to 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 relax and have more control because it's not robbing the other parts of my body aren't robbing that. Yeah, it was basically like you're sitting on top of a pile of balls because you're unstable. Yeah. And it, it all translates that if you, okay, if that's not stable, that instability goes someplace else and then you have to really work to balance yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Well, so one thing I noticed with you is that specifically in your shoulders, that you had some really limited ranges of motion, both mm-hmm. in terms of mobility and flexibility, which are two different things, and I'll talk about that in a second. But we noticed that you lacked certain ranges of motion. Dude, I'm going to get so many gigs after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so and they're like, hey, he sounds like a real, real good-looking, healthy guy. Um, <laughs> and he can play. <laughs> And, such limited motion. But but it's like your body, I always say that your body's a task-oriented machine, that if you tell your body to do something, like press something overhead, it's going to prioritize finishing that task over, okay, I need to have this proper positioning, right? Like, it's kind of like if you're ever muscling, uh, if you're for drummers or guitar players, if you're trying to muscle a lick, you know, sometimes your body's like, I need to figure this out any way possible. Sometimes, even if you're holding your breath. Or take it. the path of least resistance for that. And you can only do that so many times. Yeah. Just like if you have stiff hamstrings and you go to bend down to pick something up. My hamstrings are stiff. You know what? I'm going to take the path of least resistance. I'm going to use my back, which bends, flexes, and bends. Yes, yes. And This, what, this is what my shoulder was doing. Y- yes. And, and to do an overhead press, I was bending backwards and... It just wasn't working. Yeah, you it were, seemed like it was working, and I look in the mirror and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm pressing this barbell, uh, this dumbbell over my head, and I'm doing it. I'm doing it." Yeah, and you were just <laughs> fine. You were doing these compensatory patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was telling you is like, you know what? We're gonna have to chill out with the pressing for a little while. I'm not saying yeah. forever, but because you are just so that area is so irritated. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I see a lot is that specifically with, with, with musicians is a lot of irritation, a lot of chronic overloading. What I was seeing with you is that, okay, we're having some chronic overloading. We're having some chronic – we are just moving in all the wrong ways in the wrong doses, mm-hmm. okay? You are like working on the wrong things in the wrong order and – it was, and I don't want to be so binary, but just for the sake of simplicity, you, sure. were, you were kind of working yourself into a hole. And the harder you worked, the more into a hole you got. And what we need to do was like, okay, we need to take a step back, let that chill out. And then we need to dose in the kind of movements that you haven't been exposed to and kind of reprogram that area for you. Sure. And that takes a lot of time and patience. Um, that is probably one of the biggest challenges is just being patient. And in the meantime, still got to work. Yeah. Uh, and now that the world has opened back up, it's like, we're all starting to work as much as we were before the pandemic. And it's just kind of like, okay, how do I keep doing this? How do I not re-injure myself and yeah. yet work as much as I need to, to kind of get back on? Yeah, it's and, crazy. And that's kind of w- what you're talking about about wanting to work and having this pain in this injury where there's kind of like, oh my God, I'm kind of in this paradox here. And that's kind of why I started my own company here to help musicians mm-hmm. with this, which I just started here in Nashville. Um, and I, 
speak more about that more in a second. No, I want to talk about that, but I, I, I do want to because I think I think I think we're good. I think we can move on, but I, I want to make the point of this is why it's been so important to work with the coach. Mm-hmm. You just need to work with somebody so that you can see, and so having that objectivity and having right, also right. having guidance. Say, yeah. Like, listen, yeah. here's the path. It's just like drums. I told people this stuff is just like music. Like, it takes time and patience. It doesn't happen overnight. Having somebody guide you through this is incredibly valuable. And someone say, talk you off the, the ledge. Yeah. We need yeah. to be talked off the ledge and say, you know what? That You might think that's interesting. We don't need to go down that path right now. Let's, let's, let's check this out. So tell me about the coaching thing. So I think that I think we've covered kind of how you've helped me through mm-hmm. this and 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 made some important points about overall health and how it affects sometimes uh, very specific parts of your body and the way you perform and the way we mm-hmm. play. And just to kind of give people the idea that sometimes you just have to take a step back and see uh what you need to do to take care of yourself overall yeah, uh, that, that may be affecting you in one specific area. It's more than that. And, it's, and unfortunately, it can be very complica- complex. Yeah. And uh, there's no silver bullet. And it takes time and it takes patience. Mm-hmm. And going back to the analogy of that car driving in first gear that seems to be running just fine, and then all of a sudden, boom. Boom, right. And so... Uh, it's not one traumatic event that that can create this. Uh, it's it's over time, and sometimes it's, that creates even more confusion. But there are answers, there are solutions, and uh, working with somebody is important. So you're providing that service here in Nashville, mm-hmm. but tell us more about what it is that you're doing with this coaching specifically. Well, specifically, I moved here to do this type of work. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I started a, a just new coaching endeavor, literally a company where I actually I actually have backing now on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just putting stuff out there specifically for musicians where I see musicians who are in pain. And I understand where they're coming from, yeah, both in terms of the musical aspect, but also in terms of, okay, what do they need in terms of what prescription of movement do they need? And what can the expectation be for them? Yeah. Because a lot of people, like you said, they don't have that acute issue. They don't have that, I fell down a flight of steps, I need to get stitches or a cast. It's, oh, this just started hurting over time. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing is we're really unpacking some of that chronic, some of those chronic issues with people, some of those overuse injuries. And sometimes rest is the worst thing for them. Mm. And we don't realize that. Sometimes people are well-intentioned, but they just – if you have like a fitness trainer, they're not going to know what's – what's. they're like, okay, let, let me just train you in a range that is safe for you as opposed to let me train you in a range that you need for your career in order to advance. And there just isn't a lot of people doing this specifically in music. So that's why I bought a house in Nashville. Um, I'm still building out the recording studio part, but I'm working with musicians so I can see them play. But then also come into what used to be my garage, which is you are uh, in a couple times a week, and where we kind of do stuff with – we do basically strength work. Yeah. We, we do the exact 
I don't think I've ever said this, but we do the exact opposite of the cyclic work that you're used to doing. You're used to doing repetitive uses. Mm-hmm. You're, you're used to really just up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. We don't have any control or eccentric loading there. And I won't go into technical jargon, but we are giving you the thing that you have never developed. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when our tissues don't have that strength and resiliency, we think we need to rest them more where – thing is we need to load them in a certain way to make them feel better and that's not always the case uh in your case yeah we need to load them in a certain way um i think psychologically that's worked out really well for me because it feels like i'm doing something i'm i'm acting i'm being a, a being proactive mm-hmm. in my recovery yeah and it's like give me something to do just don't <laughs> say just take it's like oh i need to do something and yeah. i'm sure for a lot of people that are just are so motivated to do better, get better, uh, are, are motivated by just their passion for performance and music and whatever, they're like, I need to get better, so give me something to do to do it because I'm just not going to stop playing. Yeah, exactly. You know? And we a lot of times people think, I need to go to a chiropractor. I need to go to a masseuse. Mm-hmm. And those are all great. And I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that at all. And they have their place, their time and place. It's kind of like taking your instrument and say, you know, I take, need to take my instrument in the shop to get a little tune-up. You do that like, you know, once every few months, not a problem. If you need to do that once a week just to get through a gig, that's probably a problem. And you probably could be spending your money and time and energy differently. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I want to do for people. Yeah, I don't want to tell them never take your instrument, which is your body. Never take that in the shop. You absolutely should. But what can we do to improve that situation where you don't need to take it into the shop every week? Are you working with anybody that isn't dealing with pain or discomfort or weakness? Like, this is, I just need to take care of myself. I need to do something preemptively before I get to that point. So right now, I'm primarily working with people who are in pain and discomforts. Mm -hmm. I'm actually working on writing out some programs for people who want to avoid that pain and discomfort. Yes. And so we see a lot of those issues. Um, I see a lot of issues commonly pop up. And I hate to say this is a solution for B problem because um, every situation is unique. We can do s- steps. We can do things to kind of prevent. Can you name some things that you're programming for people that want to prevent this type of injury? Like, okay, this is one thing. This is another thing. Okay. I mean, that's maybe, I- maybe something that – I'm holding you to the fire here. No, no, I want you to hold uh, me I, to the fire. I mean, just like something that people were like, oh, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. You know. I think it's a good question. And I would say, let's put this in musical terms. Let's say, what is something if you're having a student? What is one scale that you're programming for people quite a bit? What is one rudiment? What is one exercise? Sure. And again, I think sometimes there are some building blocks like – as drummers, we all need to be able to do singles and doubles. Really. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but it's also every unique... So what are the singles and doubles for general fitness or preventing injury? Okay, that's a great question. Um, I would say the one thing I would tell people in most of the work I do is I'm not looking at a certain stretch or mobilization, but I want you to really look at your behavior and what concept that some of the people I work with, it's called load versus capacity. Yes. I wanted to ask, I want to talk about that. Um, so load versus capacity really where people think that, Oh, it's that one gig I played that really just hurt my back. 
Mm -hmm. or it's, you know what? I went for that run and now my knee is aching. It's that one run. Was it really that one thing you did before you started aching or all the things you did beforehand? Yeah. I heard people saying that it's kind of like you, you go on a bender, drink 20 beers, and at the end of the night you have one shot, and the next day you say, oh, I had this shot and it gave me a hangover. It's, that's why I'm hungover. Was it that or was it the 20 beers you had beforehand? Sure. And so what I'm saying is that a lot of the clients I see are just – the load that they are giving themselves is just exceeding their physical capacity. Mm -hmm. So one way I can really distill this down is that if I say to a non-runner, I say, you know what, this weekend you're going to run a marathon and I have them go out and run a marathon. What's going to happen, do you think? They're probably going to injure themselves. They're probably going to feel some pain. Why? Because their load, their acute load exceeded their capacity at that that point. Now, if somebody had been training for a marathon for months and months and months, and they go out and run a marathon, there's a chance that there's always a chance you get injured, but their chances of being injured are far less likely. The arc of their training, the time that the months that they spent training, was by increasing their capacity mm-hmm. ever so slightly. Yeah, over that time. And so, with musicians, I say, okay, well, what are the things that are adding to that load, and what are the things that we can kind of manage? So let's say you're doing gigs. You're like, I have to do this gig, and that's a non-negotiable. I'd be like, all right, cool. I want you to keep playing. What are some other things that we can manage? Okay. What is your sleep like? Yeah. Okay. What is your diet like? What is your mental stress level like? What is your exercise level like? What are all these other things that are playing factor in there? Now, you might have some pre-existing conditions like, you know what, when I was eight, I did this, I hurt my, you know, I have this pain in this place. I'm like, okay, well, that's something we always have to consider for. Or I have this autoimmune issue. All right, well, let's account for that. But we, what can we modify? So we can modify a couple things. Let's say you're having eight beers after that gig that you have to do. What if we had four beers instead of eight? And I'm just using a wild example Those are all things that we can kind of manage to get you under, keep that load under your capacity. And one of the things that we were doing early on when we met and were working together was, okay, what's your week look like? Yeah. What's coming up? And how can you build that capacity to handle the load that you have for this week? So you've got, you're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What are you doing before that? What are the days like leading up to that gig? What are the days like during that gig? Mm-hmm. Um, carving out some time for rest. Yeah. And 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 finding value in that. And that's sometimes a hard pill to swallow for those of us that are motivated by doing things, yeah. by, by just doing and doing. It's like, well, so if you don't carve out some of that time for recovery, you're not going to have... The, the capacity yeah. to deal with it. And so that was that was a, an important thing to be aware of. Um, and at, at a time when I, m- the the capacity was 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 narrower, uh, and, yeah, and it's like it is gro- it is de- right, and I feel like and you, and it's like listen, you're going to have days where you're going to be traveling eight hours to a gig, and you're not going to have any sleep, and you're going to have to perform. It's unavoidable, yeah. And then you go to go to the hotel, sleep three hours, jump back in the van, come back, and try and do a four hour gig back in town. Yeah, those days are going to happen. So, do you have 
have you kind of programmed everything else around your life to handle that type of thing? Because that shit's going to happen, you know, from time to time. Yeah, and I always think about it, it's like money in the bank. Yeah. Okay? It, it's We need to have something saved up so that you can be resilient when you're suddenly exposed to one of those days where, you know what, I have to play or I have to drive nine hours and play a four-hour gig. You know, and those days are long and those are unsustainable in the long term if you do that every day. However, if you're week leading up to that, you're like, you know what? The day before this really this probably 20, 24-hour day I have in the music world, I'm probably going to need to take off from working out. I'm probably not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like I might feel great during that day, right? Mm-hmm. But like – I want to be at my full capacity tomorrow because I know that is going to take me to the limit. And if we start making these informed decisions ahead of time and managing this, we can really kind of reduce our, uh, reduce the strain we're putting on our bodies. One of the things that you said early on that I mentioned to you, I said five years ago, I would go do an intense workout Mm -hmm. and then go play a four hour gig. Yeah. And I loved it. And it's like, I wanted to, and you said, do you want to get back to that place? I said, yes, I do. And you're like, okay. Now I'm five years older mm-hmm. than I was then. Mm-hmm. But still, that was, I, I, your answer to that, your reaction to me telling you that was encouraging because you were like, okay, well, let's make that a goal. Let's yeah. do that. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I can do this. And uh, so, as important as rest is and understanding load versus capacity, you're not only talking about, well, this is your capacity for mm-hmm. the load. It's like, okay, great. Now that we understand that, but you want to do more. You want to be able to do this. You want to be able to play maybe two, four hour gigs. Uh, at, that happens in Nashville from time to time. Or you want to go work out or you want to be able to drive, do all those intense days that you talk about, but do it the best you can and with Mm -hmm. power, uh, that means having an understanding of that and growing your capacity. Well, yeah, it's just like the easiest way to understand it. I was making the marathon analogy. Even if you're not a runner, you know that you have to build up to that. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with with being a musician. If you aren't used to playing gigs, if you take, you know, a lot of us took time off for COVID, then in Nashville, a lot of us jump back into doing double shifts on Broadway, which is a four-hour gig for those who aren't on Broadway. Um, playing for eight hours after going from doing nothing and sitting, that's, that's a recipe for disaster because all of a sudden you have this acute spike in activity level and your body's not ready to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we got to build ourselves up to that. Yeah. And your body really, it's, we just need to start building load tolerance and sometimes people, they just overdose it. Yeah. And your body can never build a tolerance if it can never recover. Yeah. And that's that's the thing I find a lot of people have a hard time with is allowing their bodies to recover. Uh, really working out, anything fitness related, that's really, for lack of better terms, is not really improving our fitness. We are losing fitness. We don't realize the potential from that fitness creating activity where we're actually breaking down our muscles till we recover. Yeah, and boy, I'm going off on a tangent again. No, no, no. I mean, the important point is like understanding that just the more you work out does not necessarily make you healthier or fitter. It's like to have an understanding again that goes back to kind of seeking professional 
help seeking professional advice. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, what do you want to do? What are your wants and needs? Right, right. Okay. Right. Now, if your wants and needs are like, I want to be like, I had been at one point, I want to be a professional triathlete, I might need to sacrifice some mm-hmm. things for music. Yeah. Likewise, if you want to be a professional drummer and do this and do it pain free, there's going to be to have to be some decisions that you're going to have to make. That doesn't mean it's all or nothing, but we yeah. need to be informed and we need to frame it around what we want to do. So how are you balancing your workload? And like, what is a typical week for you? Because uh, you're playing at a professional level yes. as, a, as a drummer, mm-hmm. musician. You are coaching at a professional level. Mm-hmm. So how does that fit? That's a good question. And how do you identify... When somebody asks what you do, then that that's that's the million dollar question. So, I, I run. So what I do is basically one theme of this whole podcast was I want to make people is about our identities, right? You're talking about your identity as a drummer, my identity as a drummer, musician, athletes. I really believe in making people the most complete version of themselves. Mm -hmm. I want to make you the most you, you possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And realizing when I moved to Nashville, again, I didn't really plan on playing music, but Mm. I kind of started realizing, oh, I got called back to this and people started asking me to play. And then it just, one thing led to another, but the most me version of me is not as a drummer. It's not as an athlete. It is not as a coach. It is really just being me and finding a way to roll all that into one. Yeah. And so that's exactly why. So I started something called PR3 Performance. Um, again, shameless plug. Uh, but Not at all. Um, <laughs> that's what my week is. I'm doing everything is music, fitness, movement related. I mean, it's all wrapped into one. Um, literally, like I wake up and it is. You're getting uh, up for meeting clients at six in the morning. Um, yeah, a lot of times my first client is going to be at six, so yeah. I'll probably get up at like four thirty or five and um, sometimes playing the night before. Yeah. And then like, again, like it's like the nexus of the universe where sometimes you like get in at three o'clock from a gig. Um, but really what I'm doing is a big part of my identity is being a musician. A big part of my identity is being, um, helping people through these pains. And so what I'm doing is I will see clients, go do a gig, see some more clients, go do a gig. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get gigs from my clients and sometimes I get clients from my gigs. Yeah. And it's really one of the reasons why I built what I built was because I wanted to do it all, not out of some kind of ego thing, but more because, oh, this is in order to do this, this is what I have to do. I have to live in both worlds. And it's kind of like you have to have skin in the game. Like when we go into music – we, we tell people, do you know what you're getting into? Because this is a lifestyle. Yeah. And music is really a lifestyle. And so what I'm doing is, again, I am coaching full-time. I am playing full-time. All of it is related to each other. There's just no one else doing it. But that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the person that I need to be. And I think that's the person that Nashville needs me to be as well. Um, and you talk about... Are you trying to fit into the scene or are you trying to have the scene fit into you? And I'm trying to do a little bit of both with the work I'm doing. And you have to understand what it is going, what's going on in a, in this town where you live. So yeah, you, exactly. So, so you have a, you know, a better understanding of where you fit in. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a bit of both. It's a yin yang kind of situation for sure. Yeah. So I didn't plan on playing music when I came to Nashville. Um, but 
it just happened to be that, oh, I was working the client that needed somebody, a drummer last minute. So I said, I can do it. And they were like, you play? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And then I'm next thing, I'm on a gig and someone's like, I got this tennis elbow thing going. And I'm like, I can fix that. They're like, I thought you were a drummer. I'm like, well, I can fix that as well. And they yeah. just kind of really fed into each other. Yeah. Um, Are you happy with where this is going? I am incredibly invigorated right now. It is literally like I'm climbing Everest again. It's like I'm training for an Ironman in the sense that I'm I'm really tackling something big. And I do believe I'm on to something big because there's this huge gap for people in general, but also musicians. I'm trying to really bridge that gap between, all right, something's injured. I need to stop what I'm doing, go get surgery. And you know what? It feels funny when I do this. You know, I hope this doesn't affect my career. So what about people that are hearing this that don't live in Nashville? So people are hearing that don't live in Nashville. This is the only place you can be. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) So one thing I wanted to say, and this isn't a shameless plug. This is me talking as a person, as a human being. And really when when I first contacted you, the same thing applies. I wasn't looking to, for lack of better terms, no pun intended, to drum up business I was looking to talk to another human being yeah. about your experience. Sure. And so if you're in another city, what I say is give me a call. Drop me an email. I can say, listen, you, you might have this going on. Let's chat about it. I can maybe connect you with somebody in your city. But I also work with clients remotely. I mean I've got clients that live in like literally different countries that it's a different day right now. And we connect via Zoom. Yeah. So sometimes we work. That's a great thing about COVID. It made us realize that, oh, you know what? Health, wellness, music, the world is not limited to this physical space anymore. We can do a lot of things if we have this attitude towards it. Right, right. I mean, I was working with people and I was having them use boxes of kitty litter during COVID. (laughs) And some of these people had the greatest results. But yeah, if first and foremost, if you're in another city, like, give me a call. That's it. Or just drop me a line and I'll say, let's talk about it because I understand. But I work with people remotely, but I also have a great network of people who aren't necessarily musicians, but also do like the kind of physical therapy, chiropractic, all kinds of wellness work. Where do you see this going? Where do you want to see this going? So I honestly see this PR3 performance, this brand that I'm growing, which is ultimately about helping people realize their potential, musicians specifically. I ultimately see this as a long-term conversation on on a major level. Not just me, but really. And that's why like, I named the company after not myself, not Aaron after, but really a concept where this is something that needs to be available to musicians worldwide. Mm-hmm. Something specifically for musicians, somebody who understands or a program or a company that understands the specific needs of the musician mm-hmm. in terms of physical, mental, what their condition is like. So I really see this as, I think some people may be familiar with Alexander Technique. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is kind of like, kind of in, in that stratosphere. Whereas, okay, we are not necessarily looking at a technique, but we are looking at a method for musicians to use to really add to their toolbox and make them a more complete artist. And this is really about taking care of the most important musical instrument you have, which is your body. And I think this is, I honestly see this happening on a 
not just the Nashville level, not just a, oh, there's a guy in Nashville, but oh, there's this company. Let's check it out. Cause yeah. there's a huge opportunity here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's what I'm really building right now. For sure. The website one more time. It's PR3performance.com. So PR3. So as in PR stands for pain reduction. That's usually the first step. And then we talk about refining your process of process refinement so we can realize your potential. Yeah. Um, but just PR3. And there's links in the show notes that is going to take you to this website as well. Yeah. So it's not just me. I'm working with the team. I got partners. And it is something that I'm wildly excited about. And I'm building out this brand right now to help people like you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great working with you. I'm, you know, I feel like I can, uh, attest to the changes Yeah, and, uh, kind of reclaim the, 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 the joy in playing again. And it's been, it's been amazing. I'm grateful that you're able to do this and talk about it and hopefully inspire some people who may be dealing with some, some injury or other. Yeah. I, I want to tell people there is absolutely hope there yeah. is yeah if somebody tells you hmm, i don't know it's okay if you say you know what i can do better and i always advocate for yourself and that's a big reason why i do what i do because people need more complete answers out there that some people are you know we're falling short on a little bit there needs to be something between i need to get surgery and something hurts yeah yeah for sure so feel free to reach out to me i would always I always tell you during our sessions, I will talk with you about this at a bar till 3 a.m. <laughs> because this is, yeah, it's what I love. I mean, this is this is my life. This is who I am. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's really important. Well, man, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's been an honor, um, both being on your podcast and uh, having you trust me with your health. Yay. I have no choice, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Aaron. All right. So there you have it, my conversation with Aaron Apter. Uh, thanks so much for listening and coming along for the ride in this conversation. It's not always the easiest thing to talk about, but I think it's just too important not to talk about. Follow links in the show notes. Reach out to Aaron if you have questions, concerns. He's very open to discuss anything that you have on your mind. So I encourage you to do so if you feel the need to. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Chris Myers of Umphreys McGee. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Uh, stay safe, stay sane, and uh, hope to see you around. Bye-bye.